Welcome to the Drinking with the Saints podcast with Mike and Alexandra Foley. Where each week, we mix a bartender's guide with the lives of the saints to help you celebrate the feasts of the calendar with liturgically correct cocktails. Let's get started. Welcome to the Drinking with the Saints podcast. I'm Mike Foley. And I'm Alexandra Foley. And happy feast of St. Dom John Melchior Bosco. Ooh, way to add a middle name. And it won't be actually today's feast. It's January 31st, but we want to make sure that you are well prepared. And boy, do we have an interesting cocktail for you this evening. This is very interesting. In fact, I'm looking at the setup for it and I'm just, I'm curious. It's slightly, well, it's a novelty drink. Let's put it that way. Okay, and we're going to try another novelty for us, which is filming it so you can actually see the making of it. Because half the joy is viewing this extraordinary cocktail. It's the visual. Exactly. Well, let us begin in our customary way. Stay with us, O Lord, for it is getting towards evening. And bless our drinks and our conversation. Amen. St. Don Bosco. Pray for us. Pray for us. All right, Mrs. Foley, will you read me the ingredients whilst you simultaneously record with our brand new technological device, the Ring of Fire. (laughs) It burns. Exactly. Let's hope it doesn't burn us. What is the thing really called? A light ring. A light ring. Okay. We're so so high tech here. We're going really high tech. So here we go. Here we go. Okay. This is called the Magic Cotton Candy Daiquiri Cocktail. That's a lot of sweet words. Sweet nothings. So we start with, well... The recipe says two ounces of light rum, but I'm looking at your glasses there, and what I see is you started with, I don't know how much, of some kind of fiberglass insulation. It looks like fiberglass insulation. It is actually cotton candy, and you're supposed to put that first into the cocktail glass for the magic effect. And we're going a little jiggy. We're not using regular cotton candy tonight. We're using Dr. Pepper cotton candy to honor our adopted town of Waco, which has an infatuation with Dr. Pepper, since that is the birthplace of Dr. Pepper. We are the birthplace of Dr. Pepper. We Wacoans. We Waco. Dr. Pepper, pray for us. Okay, (laughs) so the recipe says, start with a big fluff of cotton candy in a cocktail glass, and then you pour two ounces of light rum, times two, so that's four. Okay, and then the juice of one lime, two tablespoons. Nicely squeezed ahead of time, Mike. Yeah. And then you're going to use champagne, but first you're going to pour rum and lime juice into a shaker with ice and shake 40 times. And you're going to strain that into a cocktail glass, which magically dissolves the cotton candy. All right. Oh, we forgot to say abracadabra. I will now make this cotton candy disappear. disappear. All right, here we go. It's an illusion, Michael. <gasps> it disappeared. Where did it go? So this looks very Dr. Peppery. We're going to see how this yeah, works. Yeah, I do not remember the original cocktail looking as dark. Yeah. It's like a dark and stormy suddenly. 
And now you're going to top with champagne, and we only buy the finest. The finest screw up. Screw up <laughs> champagne. I think you meant to say screw top. Uh, uh, thank you, love. Like the screw top letters. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to garnish with an invisible wheel of lime. We did not save the lime. You know, we usually don't do garnishes on a weekday. It's just, just too much. <laughs> we... We love the garnish. It just depends on the how difficult it is. All right. We got a very interesting looking drink here. <laughs> Mrs. Foley. All right. To your health and holiness. Cheers. Cheers. Well, looks like I'm drinking Dr. Pepper. Well, that's good. It is good. It's not too sweet. It's not too sweet. I guess if I put in more cotton candy, which is the only sweetener of the drink, it would have made it a little bit sweeter. Maybe next time I will go with a little more cotton candy. I don't need any more sweetness in this drink. Okay. Well, to each his own. But wasn't that magic? Magic. <laughs> so why, Mrs. Foley, do we have a cocktail involving magic for Don Bosco? So I do know why... You would assign a magical drink for Don Bosco. Where should we start? Like he's a, he loves children. Mm -hmm. He entertains children. And he learned how to imitate the famous jugglers of Italy in order to kind of enchant children. Is that right? Hmm. Excuse me. I didn't know about jugglers. Yes. Yeah. So he is the patron saint of magicians. Right. And there are a couple of stories about that. Number one, when he was a child... He was always very pure and very cheerful. And when he saw students or classmates starting to misbehave or get into a fight, he would divert them with magic tricks. And I, what I had read was that he had studied jugglers in order to just enchant them. Well, then when he became a founding priest of an order that took care of orphans, he would do magic tricks for the delight of the children and just, you know, sort of an icebreaker as a way of befriending them. He really tried to be friends with his orphan boys. That's so lovely. So I think we should back up a little bit and just talk about who he was, where he came from. And this is a saint we have a lot of information on because he is from the 1800s. That is correct. Mid-1800s. He was a poor farm lad from Italy. And his mother worked very hard after his father passed away. I think he... His when father passed away when he was young, mm -hmm. and he held several jobs and eventually became a priest. And after his ordination to the priesthood, that's when he discovered this apostolate to the poor and the orphaned. His mother, uh, Margarita. Oh, there's another cocktail idea. <laughs> also appropriate if you want to do something a little different, maybe have it on hand. She, I think that it was, I think it was Pope the recently deceased um, Pope Benedict XVI, who made her blessed, but she's got no. her his his own mother has cool. a, a cause open for her, yeah, because she was very holy and she dealt with a lot of things and they lived in poverty and then she joined his work later in his life. So for her canonization, do magic tricks count as miracles? <laughs> That's a great SNL reference. That's right. <laughs> a couple of them are card tricks, I believe. Exactly. <laughs> Do juggling tricks count? Exactly. They're illusions, Michael. Okay, so I, I remember that he, when he was very young, he had a dream. Do you remember this? I don't at all. Oh, so when he was very young, he had a dream about being children 
and them living in poor circumstances and someone lifting them up by giving them a good example. And oh. so it was, a, it was a, the dream that kind of encouraged him to find his, his vocation in life. And I have to be honest, just last night I finished reading for, uh, the Brothers Karamazov uh, for my first time, uh, probably only time. <laughs> and uh, Well, you may not live long enough to and, read it a second so time. It's it's a long it read. took me ridiculously long to read that. And a lot of it actually was listening on Audible. Uh, but I don't want to give it away, but the final scene is Alyosha Aloysius talking to children, like the the ideal of children. And I think it's written like around the same time. I wonder if he actually thought about Don Bosco yeah. when he was writing, um, just the getting of children who had lived in difficult circumstances and then encouraging them towards the good. Yeah. And the, the final thing of Brothers K is just Aloysius just like encouraging, like, let us all be together. Let us encourage each other. And I just, that's kind of the image I have of Don Bosco is just being such an encourager of children. He absolutely was. And so he's also famous for a pedagogy of love rather than punishment. Not punitive. Exactly. So the old system was you almost literally beat information into children. And this comes from the Roman Empire. There was an old Latin proverb, the ears of a child are on his back. Oh, that's awful. Meaning that you would cane their backs like until they memorize their declensions. Oh, okay, memorizing. I was thinking more like, you're not listening to me. And you just beat them until, be they, until they can hear you. Yep. It's just awful. I mean, we, we have six children. You know, corporal punishment can be part of the equation, but we have just constantly, constantly found that it does not work. The, te- right. the teaching of, of love and encouragement is so much better. Another great quote from St. Augustine. He was reminiscing about his elementary school days and said, if we could hold nothing in our heads, the teachers made sure we could hold nothing in our hands. Ooh, that was from? <laughs> That's from Augustine. Augustine, okay. So again, the caning of the hands in this. So people complain about nuns using rulers to wrap the knuckles, but... That's mild in comparison with what Western Christendom inherited. Mm, yeah. But, it, but Bosco, he, he was a game changer. He said, hey, love. Let love be the motivation rather than punishment. And there's actually a name for his pedagogy. It's called the Salesian Preventive System. So he founded the Salesian Order because he was a huge fan of St. Francis de Sales, Sales. Whom we adore. And out of humility, Bosco named it after St. Francis de Sales rather than himself. It's so interesting that the Salesian Order was not actually founded by Francis de Sales. It's very confusing. It was by his follower. Yes. Don Bosco. By the way, just real quick, I, I'm saying Don Bosco, yeah. and then you were saying Dom Bosco, oh, I think. Oh, am I? I'm sorry. No, no, I don't. Mea culpa. No, I think... I think that they're both right. I think that like, I think that one of them is Italian and the other one is like our derivation of it. So Don is the Italian or was at least the Italian nickname for a priest. So it means... Italian title for priest. It means Lord and whatever. Like Don Don Corleone, Don Corleone. That's right. He's Lord Corleone. derived from Dominus. Dominus, which is D-O-M. But I think that the, I think the normal way to do it is Don. Dom. Don, D-O-N, <laughs> Don, Don. A, as in Nick, and as a Nick, yeah. And as a Nick, that just seems so weird. Like, it's both things. Don Corleone, 
but I think of Don Bosco. Anyway, also kind of just while I'm, I'm, I'm many things I'm, I'm embarrassed about, I constantly confuse Don Bosco with Dominic Savio. Who was one of his orphan children? Who's a saint? Who's a saint? So he said, so, so many wonderful stories about him. Don Bosco would greet a new orphan and say, do you want to be Don Bosco's friend? And the boy would say, yes, you do. Then you must help me save your soul. Let me help you. And one of the souls that he definitely saved was Dominic Savio. So when Dominic entered the school run by Don Bosco, Don Bosco examined him first. And at the end, Dominic asked him, what do you think of me? (laughs) And Don Bosco said, with a big smile, I think you're good material. And then Dominic replied, well then, you're a good tailor. So if the material is good, take me and make me a new suit out of me for the Lord. Goodness, it's not a good good word for all of us. Yeah. <laughs> Just that humility, make a new suit of me for the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so tender. And Dominic became saint. Mm-hmm. I know it's not his feast day, but I, I remember there was a the same story of Savio, where he intervened because he saw some children fighting. And I'm, one of the things I read about Don Bosco is that when he was a child and children were fighting, he would always get in between them, just always like intervene between them. And then flash forward, there's a story about Dominic, um, Dominic Savio, which is confusing because his name is Dom. <laughs> Savio, but he's not a Dom because he died when he was like 14 or something. We're such dumb Americans. <laughs> so words are hard. Um, but that Dominic Savio, I think that he saw two boys reading some impure things. Indeed. What was that like in the 19th, 18th century? I know. It was like Lady yeah. Chatterley's lover. Exactly. <laughs> well, it was pictures, but like, anyway. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, gee, I like that problem. Um, but he got in between the two boys and he said like, you know, kind of like, I'm, I'm getting in between you. You're gonna have to throw your first punch at me. And the boys were like, oh, okay, no. Yeah. yeah. Which was, which I realized today was like what Don Bosco had done as a child, got in between the boys as they fought. So anyway, he had a heart for orphans, for troubled boys. Later in his life, he founded something for girls as well. Yep. Equal opportunity. Yep. Juvenile delinquents, uh, troubled kids, they would be sent to Don Bosco. Well, we've covered a few good things about this holy man. His use of magic, 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 not the dark arts, obviously. So it, honestly, like I make, we would love to quote Arrested Development. There's a difference between illusions. Yeah. <laughs> it's an illusion, Michael, and magic, magic. Magic's not all bad, especially when magic is sort of sleight of hand and it's sort of to entertain kids. I concur. As opposed to like... Sorcery. Dark arts. Yeah, yeah. exactly. All right, so we've covered his use of magic. We've covered his love of forming young men and women into holy people through a pedagogy of love. Did you know something else interesting about Don Bosco in the confessional? No. Like the Curie Dars, he was a reader of hearts. Ooh. Yeah. That's amazing. Also scary. Well, I... I came across this great quote from Ronald Knox, 
who's addressing a group of school children during World War II. And he says, some of the saints we are told used to read people's consciences, like St. John Bosco, for example, and the dear Cure d'Ars. And very convenient it would be, because you wouldn't have to go to the trouble of examining your conscience before you came into the confessional. <laughs> okay, just as an aside, don't do that, people. Examine exactly. your conscience. You cannot rely on your local parish priest. I'm just going to phone it in. Let him read my heart. Yeah, what do you got it's for me, job. Father? Yeah, <laughs> this is on you. It's like, like the mechanic. You go to the mechanic. Exactly. You're like, it's got a little rattle. You figure out what that is. Exactly. I'm not the professional here. You are. That's why I'm paying you the big bucks. <laughs> Don't do that. Okay. But Knox goes on to say, well, that is what your judgment will be like. God won't have to find out what you have done and what the state of your soul is. He will know. And he will communicate that knowledge to you. You will be flooded all at once by a full realization of the kind of person you are and whether you are due for heaven, and if so, what sort of purgatory you have to expect before you get there. And so it will also be at the general judgment. God won't find out anything he didn't know before. He will simply make it clear to mankind what it is that has been happening all along, which souls were true to him, and which weren't, and why. So I never thought... So that was... Just just, just slow down. That was... Knox. That was was a quote from Knox. Knox. Yeah, one of our favorite authors. Yes. And that was from Creed in Slow Motion. You nailed it. That's a great quote. Also terrifying. Also, can we take a pause so I can go to confession? Yeah. So That's tough. That's tough. What I liked about it was that it understood the spiritual significance of the reading of hearts, or it it gave an added significance. Like when you hear that, you know, St. John Marie Vianney could read hearts... Mm -hmm. Or Padre Pio, you're like, whoa, dude, this is a proof of, you know, God's power. This is a proof of the saint's holiness. I see. But I never thought of it as a foreshadowing of the eschaton, of the last judgment, of the four last things. So to put it a different way, it's just like the lifting of the veil of what's really going on in your soul. You try to do that at confession. Yes. And then these very unusual situations where a priest can actually lift that veil and say, like, this is what's going on with you. You don't have that confessor. I'm sure no one who's listening has that confessor, but that's what you can expect to be able to read hearts. Yeah. That's what you can expect. The veil is lifted. The veil is lifted and it's it's all there. And I guess I, I what I want to take away from that is that I would like to pray to Don Bosco and the other one was whom? The Curie Dars. Curie Dars. Yeah. To Pray to them to reveal to me my sins, especially it seems like intentions. Behind, like, you know, the things that you did, yep. but like the intentions behind them. Pray to them f- to confess them so that I don't have to have that ugly, <laughs> ugly, ugly realization, ugly, that ugly scene that's going to be my judgment. Yeah. Yeah. That's also very Augustinian. Augustine often prayed, Let me know myself as I am known by you. Yeah. And then towards the end of his life, he wanted to, when he's looking over his life and his works, he wanted to be an extremely harsh judge of mm-hmm. his own works mm-hmm. so that by comparison, God's judgment would be mild. So what do you think of that? Because that, I, I think about that a lot. 
If I'm hard, you, I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. No, I never think about that. I'm usually like, when can I buy an Amazon to make my legs look pretty? Um, I think about like, there's a way in which it's human to feel if I am the worst judge of myself, then no one else will judge me. And a human, I'm just talking yeah. totally human. Well, oh, oh, I know my children did this. I know, I know this. Oh, oh, I know that I had this on my face. But is it true, Mike Theologian, that if you accuse yourself and then, yeah, I guess it makes sense, then you go to confession and you confess that, then it's better than just being obtuse? Yes. And Augustine is drawing his inspiration from St. Paul, who has a line about that, about his judging himself more harshly so that God will be lenient towards him. Okay. Don't ask me chapter and verse. I'm a Catholic, not a Protestant. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember stories, not numbers. Right. But I, I, I think that actually is a good approach. The small footnote is don't confuse that with scrupulosity. Yeah. Which, yeah. which is the inability to accept God's forgiveness. Right. And, and that's a different animal. Mm -hmm. I, there could be a Venn diagram where they could intersect. Sure. So you just have to be careful that you don't bleed into scrupulosity. Okay. So I guess what we're highlighting, and I need to highlight this for my own spiritual life, is just the importance of when you make a good confession, making sure that you have done a really solid examination. It's helpful. Yeah. I yeah. mean, oftentimes I'm like, well, I got, you know, I got a time slot here. I'm just like racing over there. Try not to listen to music on the, <laughs> the radio while I go. And then maybe, you know, pray for a few minutes, just the importance of really, 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 really examining the conscience. I recently went to confession. I oh, mean, good, every oh, now good and then, for you. I just check in with the priest. Hey, man, how you doing? <laughs> right. He was like, scrupulosity again, you're good, get out of here. So I'm standing in the confessional line, and I'm going through this examination of conscience that I found online. And one of the sins that it invited you to consider whether you had is whether you've ever had an ill-prepared confession in the past. Oh, zoinks. Be because that's a sin. And I was just like, all right, I know you're probably right, but stop adding on to me, man. Stop piling on. And of course I've had ill-prepared confessions. The bar is getting really high. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. It's just the ill-prepared confession. Yeah. I am, I'm very much uh, guilty of that. Well, this has been a great conversation, and we've learned to love Don Bosco more than ever before. But I'm sorry. I have to be a little impish. Wait, you've got a problem with Don Bosco? I dug up some dirt. Ooh. Okay, can I say one thing about him? Because he's, so, rec cause he's so recent, we have pictures of him, yeah. and I love his face. He just looks yeah. like someone you know. He actually looks like someone I actually know. Um, but he looks like someone you know in a way that you just, he feels so relatable. In any of those photos, was he smoking? No, but say more. <laughs> Tobacco use became an issue during the beatification investigation of Joseph of Cupertino, John Bosco, and Philip Neri. The devil's advocates argued that heroic virtue did not apply because they used tobacco, and yet they all became saints. Wait, but point one. Not that I'm trying to encourage tobacco use, but if you are a smoker, I have good news for you. You can go to heaven. 
But it also sounds like what you're saying is that you can't have heroic virtue. Well, that's what the devil's advocates argued. So you know the thing about the devil's advocate? Sure, yeah. That, you know, he had to dig up all the dirt he could against a saint. Mm-hmm. In, and uh, if even during, even after all the dirt he dug up came out, the saint was still seen as holy, mm-hmm. then they had done due diligence. Okay, so you're, I just, okay, let me see for a second. So that the devil's advocate came up with, but wait, he smoked. He smoked and smokers can't be compatible with heroic virtue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they were they were rejected. With in the case of John Bosco, his defense team was able to argue that it helped him stay awake at night for more prayer. So that would be the only excuse that we can now find to smoke cigarettes. Not the only. So as long as we're on the topic, Damien of Molokai. I was one hundred percent going to mention smoked him. a pipe. Uh, to keep out the rancid smell of decaying flesh among the lepers that he served. So that's another reason. (laughs) (laughs) That is super relatable, Mike. All right. I'll give you one final example. When Pius X uh, was up for canonization, Mm -hmm. the devil's advocate could only find two things against him. Mm. One was that uh, his low mass took only 20 minutes to celebrate... (laughs) Oh, the 20-minute miracle. 20-minute miracle, man. And then the other criticism was he smoked one cigarette a day, which to me is heroic virtue. Like you could just stop (laughs) at one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we have really bottomed out. We kind of started with sanctity and ended up with finding excuses to To go out and have a smoke. (laughs) Please, please don't hate us, listeners. We are just flawed flawed people. What else do you want to say about our beloved Don Bosco? We love him. Saintly Sippers, thank you for joining us for another episode. We wish you all the best to your health and holiness. God bless. Also, kind of feel like you just shut me off real quick. I, I mean, I was, we were talking about stuff. I mean, there's nothing else you want to say about Don Bosco. I just want a cigarette right now. <laughs> God bless and good night. Thank you for joining us. Please get in touch with us via email at podcast at drinkingwiththesaints.com or on our Instagram page at Drinking Saints and find Drinking With The Saints book series at drinkingwiththesaints.com or wherever fine books are sold. The Drinking With The Saints podcast is produced by Back Row Media.